Welcome. Welcome to the second part of the podcast Idealism versus Pragmatism, a podcast on a wicked dilemma of humanitarian practice brought to you by Kuno. In the first part, John Dalhuizen, senior fellow of the European Stability Initiative, explained why he thinks it is better at this time and in this setting in Europe to fight for less high goals and less high moral standards in the current migration debate. Half a loaf is better than no bread at all. In this second part, you will hear a summary of a vivid debate between Joel Dahlhuizen and two representatives of humanitarian organizations in the Netherlands. You will hear Arjen Heerenkamp, nowadays Deputy Director of Stichting Vluchteling. During the migration crisis in 2015 and 2016, Arjen was Director of Artsen zonder Grenzen, Medicine Sans Frontier in the Netherlands, and he was well involved in the safe and rescue actions of MSF at the Mediterranean. The other NGO representative is Evelyn van Roenburg, Europe Migration Campaign Manager of Oxfam Novib. First, we will hear Evelyn, Evelyn van Roenburg. Thank you for this opportunity first and for Mr. Dalhuizen. I wanted to say Dalhuizen. This is what we would say in the Netherlands <laughs> um, for presenting your views. Um, and I think we can agree on quite a lot, actually. And we, we, we definitely agree on the fact that policies in, in, the, in Europe and in the global north in, more in general are, are becoming more and more restrictive and, and highly problematic. Um, so we, we really agree on that. But we, what we disagree on is, is how NGOs respond to these kind of policies um, and these scary, these scary times. We compromise, Oxfam, but other NGOs the same, we compromise all the time. Um, I've, in the last year, I've visited our programs in Serbia, in Greece and in Italy, um, and compromise is our, is our second nature almost. Um, we provide legal aid, although we feel that this is fundamentally a government's task. We serve food in camps in Serbia, although we believe that this humanitarian response is, should not be necessary in Europe. Uh, we help people who are out of the system, although we feel that these people should not have been out of the system in the first place. So we compromise and we are, we are I think, very pragmatic. And this is not only true for our, for our humanitarian work, we do the same with our advocacy. So when we talk to governments, we compromise already all the time. For example, we supported the, the proposal that came out of the European Parliament on reform of, uh, of asylum policies. We didn't think it was perfect at all, but we thought this is an alternative and it, and it's, and it values our support. Uh, and the same is true for proposals on returns, which we do not oppose. So, um, so I think that we are already quite pragmatic in our, in our advocacy. Um, but we're also idealists because we feel that there is this common framework that we need to adhere to because this is what we have and this is the human rights and the fundamental values that you've been discussing. Because if we don't have that, then, then what else? Um, and it's true that these that these values are not carved in stone. You've said in one of your papers that all that is created by man can be destroyed by man. And this is, this is indeed really true. Um, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't defend them. On the contrary, we should. We should defend these kind of fundamental rights and human rights. And we do so in our discussions with governments. Um, we expose them. We criticize them. We take them to court. Um, but this is not all that we do. And behind the scenes, we also talk to governments about 
alternatives, about solutions. We do that regularly in the many, many discussions that we have with the Dutch government, with EU institutions in Brussels and, and, and with other governments. Um, what we also do um, when we talk to the broader public, we, we use a wholly different narrative. And, and Oxfam has been, has been learning this over the years, and we've done quite a lot of research in the, in the last couple of years. Um, the majority of European citizens is not in favor of open borders, which is fine, because we are not in favor of open borders either. The majority of European citizens is also not racist, um, they are the silent majority. So this is about 60 to 70% of the population that is um, scared, uh, but that also has these fundamental values, although they don't call it that way, because human rights and fundamental values are these fake notions that they don't really talk about. So that's what not, we, we don't say to them, asylum seekers have human rights, although for us it's evident that, the evidence that they have that. But we say, and we use this in our public campaigns, we say... We need to keep families together. Or we say asylum seekers only want a dignified life. Or we say migrants already have to make these very difficult decisions. Let's not make these decisions more difficult to them. So we don't talk about their human rights. We talk about values that, 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 these, that these large uh, numbers in society can relate to. Um, and we've had quite some success. In Ireland and in the UK, we've... we've been able to, uh, to come up with uh, family reunification laws um, because we use this different narrative. So I think that this is one of the reasons or one of the solutions to the problem of how do we talk to the broader public on this. Does it mean that we're moving away from our idealism? Not at all. Um, um, we still remain idealistic, but we also remain pragmatic, and I think we can be both at the same time. John argued, like, when you're putting down the, the ceiling, uh, if you don't do it, you lose your influence. You, you lose the possibility to influence politicians and policymakers. Are you losing your influence? I find that a difficult question to answer because I've, b I've been working in academia at the University of Amsterdam uh, before I came to Oxfam. So, uh, and this is, so this has only been three years. So, so what I see now with our influence is it hasn't changed that much over the last three years. Maybe that's something that Aryan can, 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 can say something about. What I do feel is that if you lower, lower the ceiling, what I'm afraid of is that what John was saying is that, that we, you will help the, the more moderate politicians, right? You will help the liberals and you will help labor in, in, in you know, trying to get a, a proposal that would, that, would, that would help them convince the broader public. Um, but if you look at Australia, where it was the Labour Party and it was the liberals, as you said so yourself, that were implementing these really, really problematic policies of externalizing all their asylum policies to Nauru and creating these horrible situations there, I am afraid that if we lower the ceiling, that they will go lower still. So I don't think that that's the right solution and that we should go there. Arjen Heenkamp, Stichting Vluchtelingen. Yeah, so, so um, I consider myself an, an, um, a humanitarian rather than an advocate. And um, uh, uh, I, I remember standing here um, uh, a couple of years ago with a book that was published by MSF, which was called uh, Humanitarian Negotiations Revealed, and which basically revealed the grubby compromises that an organization like MSF, a humanitarian organization, had to do in order to be able to work in uh, Afghanistan or Somalia or in Nigeria and so on. And so the nature of a humanitarian 
organization is to compromise, is to compromise on the ideals and to achieve the achievable within an impossible context. That is basically the nature of any humanitarian organization. It may not be necessarily the nature of a human rights organization because they're not uh, as much as uh, uh, with their feet in the mud in the, on the ground and having to compromise across from people who are um, uh, actually responsible for doing the dirty deed uh, towards, uh, towards uh, those who suffer from it. But that's basically what, what organizations like MSF do. And that's what organizations like Stichting Vluchtelingen and ISC do. So that's a starting point. So we always compromise. We always compromise on our deals. And we always have to fight for making some of them survive within, within a context that, that is hostile towards any of these ideals. Um, uh, then, then I would say that, that's, my, that, that's basically my starting point. So, so for an organization like us, there's nothing... I mean, you say there's no false opposition between pragmatism and realism, but you do oppose yourself as an ultra-pragmatist against those those gekkies, you know, the, the, the idealists that are sitting across from you. So, so in a sense, you're creating a false opposition whilst, uh, whilst claiming the opposite. Um, now, my basic and main concern as a humanitarian is not the sideshow of Europe, which seems to be uh, a massive concern of yours. Europe, Europe is a sideshow, and why is it uh, why is it a sideshow? Because the main uh, reality that we're facing as a humanitarian organization is, on the one hand, that we increasingly have difficulties entering into conflict situations like Syria, like Afghanistan, like Somalia, like Nigeria, like like all these massive conflicts that require some sort of external uh, presence or assistance in order to be able to help people within those crises. It is becoming increasingly difficult and increasingly impossible in order to be, be able to be present alongside people who suffer from violence and war and oppression and so on, and who are therefore uh, uh, chased out of their houses and eventually chased out of their, their, their country. It is equally, at the same time, increasingly impossible for people to cross borders and to be recognized as people who seek protection and who are deserving of protection. You know, the Dutch government, for all its uh, uh, obvious positive progressive policies, nonetheless, is guilty of exactly the same thing in Curaçao, where it doesn't recognize anyone coming from Venezuela as anyone other than an illegal migrant. So even a progressive, positive, liberal society with a functioning democracy like Holland isn't recognizing the right of people to flee those countries anymore. So we have a twin problem. One, we cannot get in. Two, they cannot get out. And, and, and so therefore we cannot assist them. So that's my main core. And so therefore, Europe is a sideshow. No? And that, that is what I want to protect. And, and, and my fear is, um, and that's my second point, is that um, uh, your organization that you currently work for has caused a paradigm shift in the thinking in Europe about what is acceptable and legitimate in order to be able to uh, stop people from fleeing into Europe and thereby also stop people fleeing from places like Syria because as a consequence, and I see it as a fairly direct consequence of the policies in Europe, you see the borders closing around Syria. So you see serious knock-on effects that have uh, gone beyond uh, Europe into Syria, borders closed, people are no longer able to flee, uh, but also in Kenya and other countries. In Afghanistan, the same applies. And the third thing where I would take issue with you is that I don't think your pragmatism has uh, shown results. I think, in fact, uh, the pragmatism of the organization Gerard Knaus, the, the EU-Turkey deal, has caused perhaps a reduction 
in uh, uh, numbers crossing the Mediterranean, a temporary reduction because we see it increasing again today. But it has also caused people uh, from being unable to flee from Syria into Turkey and thereby we see invisible deaths that we no longer count but nonetheless occur within Syria itself because people are no longer a le a legitimate or allowed to flee across the border in order to be able to find safety and protection. So you're counting the positive and you're discounting the, the, the negative because it's invisible. And so therefore I don't think your, your policies, pragmatic as you sell them, uh, as opposed to uh, the romantic uh, idiots uh, that are sitting across from you. No, but pragmatic as you sell them, but they're, they're not effective and you don't show the results from it. And I think um, uh, the long-term damage that you're doing by proposing these policies as legitimate and, and, and possible and realistic is that it is undermining the ability of organizations like ourselves in order to be able to access people who are thoroughly deserving by any count, except for politicians in Europe at this moment in time, uh, by any count, uh, to be able to receive assistance and protection. John. <laughs> I, mean, I think you should start with Arya. I, I appreciate, I appreciate you know, I mean, it's better to have a frank discussion. This wouldn't be an interesting discussion if there wasn't some, some frank exchanges, so I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I take issue a little bit with the description of what's happening in Europe as a sideshow. Um, and I... I I know you don't wholly mean it in the sense that it comes across, but I mean, it, it's clearly not a sideshow for the tens and hundreds of thousands of people who are being affected by this. To, to dismiss that as, as a sideshow, I mean, one, it's the number one issue in the political debate in Europe right now. And tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people, are being affected by it. Uh, and hugely affected by it in dramatic ways. I, I, I don't know. I don't think that's a sideshow, and someone has to do something about it. I mean, they, not doing anything about this isn't an option for anyone. There will be migration policies. There will be migration policies, and they have to be something. And I prefer it if they weren't utterly miserable ones. And, and utterly miserable ones is is what we've got. Um, so to come back to some of your specific points, on the, on the paradigm shift, I, I, I just think it's empirically untrue. Right? There has been no paradigm shift. The EU-Turkey statement is in many respects an infinitely better, more rights-respecting solution to a problem a political problem, I'm not going to call it a problem in other ways, a political problem, than other countries have done over the last 20 years, which have completely excluded some of the key elements, which is access to a determination proceeding, six billion for the country people are nominally returned to, but in fact not in practice. Why not? Because, oh, they have access to a status determination procedure in Turkey, dysfunctional uh, as it is. But if you look at all the other things that I listed, that long predated anything that, that Mr. Canals has suggested, they were infinitely worse. Cuba, 1994, didn't America sit there with Castro and say, oh, you must do this with the people I'm returning? Here's some money to treat them better? No, they dumped them in Guantanamo Bay and said, thank you very much. Did uh, Berlusconi do it in 2008? 
No. Did the Australians do it in 2001 with Nauru? No. Did they do it in 2012? No. All this stuff is already happening infinitely worse than this. So this is not a paradigm shift at all. This is, if anything, a paradigm shift in a positive direction. Because this contains elements that have not been present in any other migration deal of this kind, the purpose of which has been to stop people arriving all together. All together. Right? So I, I think, it, it, I just reject the analysis of that as a paradigm shift. I, I don't reject the analysis that this can have possible knock-on effects that are, that are noxious. Uh, the extent to which the EU-Turkey deal is a generator of uh, Turkish border control with Syria, whether this would have happened anyway, it's, I think, something that one can debate and we might disagree, but, but fair enough. I mean, I think that it's not a... It's perfectly possible that that is a knock-on debate. On the idea of invisible invisible suffering. I, I think a lot of idealists, hardcore idealists, also privilege the immediately visible and don't contemplate the invisible, which would become very visible if something else happened. Right? They're the invisible ones. The invisible ones are, well, who are the other people coming behind? One. Two. What else would they get if it wasn't for the for, for a number of other solutions. Do you think suddenly opening the borders with um, uh, opening the islands, letting everyone into Greece, what would actually happen? I mean, let's go through the thought experiment. What would happen? Because if what you're assuming has happened is, oh, lots of people would come and the rest of Europe would go wicked, come to my country. I mean, that's not going to happen. What would happen? They'd be in abysmally poor conditions in, in Greece. There wouldn't be six billion going to those who are still left. Greece would be turned into one giant pen where people are treated miserably and no one's situation has improved in, in Turkey. Not only that, you would have Orban Salvini triumphing across the rest of Europe. Okay? That's what would happen. So what we're talking about here is not just refugee convention. We're talking about the rise of populist forces that will undo much more than just the refugee convention. Much more. And if you don't see the nature of that threat, and sadly, dramatically, tragically, Merkel Macron can't get the measure of this threat either. And what they need to do to confront it, which is to be much more idealistic than they are. I mean, half of my shtick is pragmatists, idealists need to be more pragmatic. The other half of my shtick is that pragmatists, those in government, need to be a little bit more uh, idealistic. Um, but that's what's coming. That's the invisible. That's the invisible. Iron Heenkamp. I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm astounded the, about the fact that John is so surprised about this because I've been working in MSF for 25 years before I joined Stichting Vluchteling and this is exactly the result and the effect that you get in any country where there's a large influx of people coming from a neighboring country. I mean, it happens every single time. There's a, there's, a, a, there's, a, there's a concern within the population about the effects of f f foreigners or strangers coming into their communities. Uh, this, this happens even within 
the Netherlands within a small village if people are coming from Rotterdam, like I come from Rotterdam into a small <laughs> village in, in the east of the country. So, so this is a very natural reaction, and I'm, I'm, I'm surprised about the fact that this is taking you by surprise uh, 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 so much. Um, I, think, I think here, you know, we can accuse, I, I accuse you of naivete because I think you're proposing solutions that are, in fact, you believe that they're pragmatic, but in fact, politicians are not ready, and I've talked talk to uh, tens or, or if not hundreds of them, not ready to accept. They're, accept, they're accepting the, um, the lust, they're not accepting the lust. Uh, they're, they're, accepting, they're accepting the positives for them, i.e. no more people coming to our, our, our countries and therefore the votes are coming towards me. They don't accept eventually the, the necessity in order to be able to create additional uh, ways by which people can come over here in a, in a safe and, and, uh, and an organized fa fashion. And they don't do it. In the EU-Turkey, uh, a measly 12,000 people have come across to Europe. Uh, it's it's pathetic numbers. It doesn't it doesn't and not recent. It doesn't do anything. So they're accepting they're, they're accepting the positives. They're rejecting the negatives, and they're rejecting therefore half of the proposals that you're pragmatically putting forward. And so in that sense, I I think you're naive. You think I am naive for proposing solutions that go beyond the acceptability or the acceptance of of uh, of, uh, of the demos in 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 Holland or in, in Europe. I think in fact the reality is that both of us have our place because. Uh, I believe passionately in the fact that I should be defending the rights and the, and the needs of the people that I try from within Stichting Vluchteling or MSF to serve and to assist. <clears throat> and I don't think I should be compromising on those ideals to the extent that I sell myself and sell myself short in terms of uh, achieving an effective result. Uh, and you have your place because you propose workable solutions to civil servants and to politicians. I think both of us have our place and we should both go all out in order to be able to do so uh, and, to, uh, and to create an effective result. <coughs> the reality is that the result is not very effective so far, neither from your approach nor from mine. A <laughs> final point on naivety, because it's the best point that's been made against me. Uh, it's the best one. Uh, because the paradox of the whole thing is that underneath it all I am fundamentally deeply idealistic and deeply optimistic and I'm deeply optimistic about the power to change something uh, I am not naive about the difficulties of convincing a Merkel, a Macron a Rutte, a Sanchez to go for the stuff that I'm advocating for it's immensely difficult to get them to do this. What I'm advocating is complicated, requires legal reform, administrative reform, it's expensive, and it will allow more people to come to Europe than currently. Right? That's a pretty big ask. And why do that when you can keep on backing a Libya deal that stops everyone coming all together and no one's punishing you for it? Why do it? Why do it? Okay? And because I speak to these people. I speak to them the whole time and trying to get them to convince them to do this. Evelyn van Rombrug, Oxfam Novib. I want to ask a, an, a question to the audience, if I may. Of course. So how many of you are migrants, by show of hands? Quite a lot, isn't it? Um, and so this is, this is what we need to talk about, that we all have stories about migration, if it, 
either it's ourselves or it is our family members or it is our neighbors or our friends. Um, and this was also something that I referred to. I do not want to change social attitudes at all. This is not our project. We want to use the social attitudes that are already out there and try to talk to people in the language that resonates with them. Um, so that is why we want to talk about family values. We want to talk about tradition. We want to talk about authority or uh, why people want to work in different countries and, and then talk about the own experience that people have. And I, and I truly believe that if we use this different narrative that we can that we can um, convince people, and that if politicians use this narrative, instead of the right-wing narrative that even Labour and even the Liberals are now using as well, that we can have a different discourse. The alternative, um, what is being proposed, is that we are more in favour of detention, more in favour of returns, um, and, uh, that there are lesser appeals. And I see a system that if you do that right... It might be possible, but the current proposals by, or the current practice in Europe, in the hotspots in Italy and, and, and Greece, but also the proposals that have been put forward by the European Commission on Controlled Centres just don't do it right. So what I fear is that we give in to these kind of uh, proposals and we say, okay, let's compromise on it. We get something that we will absolutely, that we cannot support, and I don't think that we should go that way. Thank you. My basic point is that Europe is on the brink of losing profoundly important parts of its refugee protection system. Things we've taken for granted for, for years. It's happening already and it's beginning to be baked into a, a political status quo. That Anything that you can do that shifts that, that moves that, that offers control with soul. That is the fundamental task that I think people who care about this stuff and the people at the end of it uh, need, to, need to do. To, to criticize what's on the table but offer no meaningful and viable alternative is to remove yourself from the game. Now, you may object to my calling this a game, uh, but it is a game of, of influence, uh, having an uh, getting people's attention, getting people's ear, building a consensus. This is a noble task. This is a big task. And this is what activism, what campaigning is all about. It's getting support for a credible, viable, sellable thing given where society is at a particular point in time. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there, but I, I will leave it with a, um, a, a, a thank you to everyone uh, f because I think in the end wherever you end up on this, these are real moral and strategic dilemmas and I think we may end up on different sides of this and different conclusions some conceptual, some on the facts but I think fundamentally we're all struggling with the same set of dilemmas uh, and, and trying to navigate our way through them, so thank you very much Thank you for listening to Kuno. Please forward the links to these podcasts to anybody who might be interested. See you next time.